Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.braunambulances.com. Is your fire department prepared to face challenges like the turbulent economy, recruiting and retention, and funding? Level up and get the training and strategies you need on the issues that matter most at WAVE 2023. Featuring ESO Training Academy on April 11th through the 14th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. ESO, a leading provider of fire RMS and EPCR software, brings together national industry leaders, quality training, and experienced fire and EMS professionals for a unique conference experience that will inspire you to drive change within your organization and prepare for 2023's challenges. For a limited time, our listeners can use the discount code FIRETRUCK to save $100 on a full four-day conference pass. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from some of the nation's top experts in emergency services. Visit ESOWave.com to register today. That's E-S-O-W-A-V-E.com. See you in Austin on April 11th through the 14th, 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, empowered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. All right, welcome, everybody. This is Eric Dryman, uh, host of the Hooks and Hoses podcast on the Fire Engineering Network. I want to thank everybody for tuning in this evening. Uh, got a pretty interesting guest, uh, a guy by the name of Jake Barnes. Many of you probably know he has his own podcast, the Three Point Firefighter podcast. Uh, I first met Jake a few years ago when he came to Indianapolis uh, as part of a group of instructors from the International Society of Fire Service Instructors, otherwise known as ISFSI, uh, to do a basement fire class um, for us in Indianapolis. Um, had a real good time, uh, learned a lot from this guy, and I, I hope the uh, audience feels the same way. Jake, welcome welcome this evening to the Hooks and Hoses podcast. Glad to have you. Brother, thank you so much. I was so honored when uh, you asked me, and I've been excited about it this whole time. So thank you very much. Well, I'm glad to have you, man. It's, I know with our schedules and everything, it can be a little bit of a challenge to, to work out times to do these sorts of things, but I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, Jake, if you would just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, um, you know, anything you, you feel like you want to pass along just to kind of establish who you are and where you work and what you do and all that sort of stuff. Oh, thank you. Um, so uh, I've been in the fire service, uh, between 28 and 30 years. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, and the reason I say that somebody I came on with in Lexington, Kentucky posted, uh, 
our anniversary. And I was like, man, I don't think I had that much time on. But I got started in the 90s uh, in the military. I joined the Air Force and they made me a firefighter. Uh, fell in love with it. I didn't I didn't join the Air Force to become a firefighter. Uh, they just they gave me four choices. And that was one of the choices. Uh, and I just fell in love with the fire service. Um, I was in the fire service for three years active, two years reserve. And then uh, after those first three years, I went to work in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I was there for eight years. It, it's, it was an amazing experience. Uh, and I feel like Lexington really, really uh, was an amazing, amazing department. And I certainly miss that department every day. I got very fortunate and got to move uh, up to uh, New Albany, Indiana, which is about an hour and a half uh, north of Lexington. I've been up here for about 19 years. Um, I love it up here. Uh, I'm, I'm a Kentucky boy, so I'm close enough to Kentucky that I just got across the river. So it's like the perfect part of uh, Indianapolis. Uh, like you mentioned, I am a, a podcaster. I have a podcast uh, called Three Point Firefighter uh, based off an article I wrote uh, several years ago. Um, about pride training and physical fitness, which I think are the uh, tenets and the foundation of being a good firefighter. Um, I got, I, I took an uh, ISFSI class, uh, International Society of Fire Service Instructors class, several years ago and fell in love with it. I think it's the absolute best training organization you'll, you'll ever see. And through them, I became an instructor. Um, that's how I met you. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm an instructor for the NFPA 1403 class. Uh, I'm an instructor for the basement fire class. Uh, what else? Uh, training officer credential. And uh, most recently, the NFPA 1700 class. I actually get to go and teach at FDNY again, which is always an amazing experience uh, next month, in, in a week, actually. So I uh, love the ISFSI. Um, and that's pretty much what got me here. I met you, of course, up in Indy, uh, mm -hmm. teaching the basement fire class. And I got to brag on you. I bragged on you in my podcast. I'm bragging on you here because people ha have to understand. So when you travel around teaching classes, you have a host and everything is collaborated through the host, right? Uh, equipment, everything there. I don't, I've had a lot of great hosts. Don't get me wrong, but none as fantastic as you were. We came there and we're changing things constantly. And every single time we asked you for something new and different, you'd be like, okay, sure. No problem. And after several hours of this, we're like, man, I feel bad asking Chief Dryman for more stuff. But every <laughs> single time, not only did you deliver, you delivered with like just as happy as you could be. So that made a huge impact on me. And because of that, that's why I wanted you on my, my, pod, my podcast, because you made a huge, huge impact on me. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. Um, you know, that's that's the host job. I, and I, I can empathize with uh with traveling around because i do a lot of that myself so i know that you know having <laughs> the resources available uh, makes all the difference in the world so I'm, I'm glad that you know we were able to pull off those changes that you guys needed to make and and it all worked out so um so now the audience knows a little bit about you and how we met so the main focus today uh, although if we get off and go a different direction that's fine too but i want to talk a little bit about uh basement fires and um you know, basement fires, you mentioned basement fire to somebody and, you know, immediately they normally they get a grimace on their face or they cringe or, you know, mm -hmm. just because basically we know how bad basement fires can be to to fight, particularly if they're really, really going good. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, that was 
you know, we've, we've had some experience. I've had some experience with some folks um, who've gotten hurt uh, at these types of fires um, simply because they, you know, they were trying to do their best and, and get in there and, and make the basement stairs and get down and, and attack the fire uh, like we all are trained to do. Um, but, you know, through the ISFSI and, and the UL NIST research and, and uh, that sort of stuff that, that's uh, come out over the years, uh, there's been some a new thought process, some new, you know, information data that's come out uh, for basement fires. So, would you mind just explaining a little bit about what you've learned from a data perspective and just traveling around uh, to different places as far as some misperceptions, um, you know, bad tactics kind of things that you've you've seen departments using that you've helped to. Uh, either rectify or at least make a little bit better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, my, my experience with basement fires uh, is, is kind of all over the place uh, throughout my career. And I've always hated them. I hate basement fires. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing worse than making that push down the chimney. Um, and I was actually part of a line of duty uh, death and it was a basement fire. And that made a huge impact on me. And uh, I'd like to say his name, but uh, Chuck Williams uh, mm -hmm. was killed in February um, and, uh, so that made a huge impact on me and I really wanted to learn as much as I could, not just about basement fires, but, uh, fires in general. Um, and the thing we got to keep about, keep in mind with basement fires is if we come at a basement fire, the same way we come at, uh, any other type of fire, we might be setting ourselves up for failure. Um, so if you think about this, like all, like all the firefighters have been caught or trapped in a collapse. Uh, are 36% of firefighter fatalities. I mean, that's a huge number. Uh, and usually it's like they're caught in the flow path or they fall through a floor. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think those are significant numbers where we, we need to really look at basement fires. Uh, but um, so the uh, Fire Safety Research Institute, uh, the FSRI, uh, and you can, you can get, get them on the internet, fsri.org, did some uh, very in-depth research with the ISFSI uh, and people from all, firefighters all over the country, and they've published this report. Well, we mentioned that uh, I work for the ISFSI. Well, they work hand in glove with these research, uh, these scientists, you know, UL NIST, ULFSRI. Uh, ISFSI works hand in glove with them so we can deliver the most up-to-date and science-based information. So when they came out with this, I want to say it was published in 2016 or 17, uh, there was a lot learned in, in how we deal with basement fires. And there's some myths too, not just for basement fires, but most, you know, structure fires. Uh, so I would say like myth number one is when it comes to like basement fires that we have to do everything we can to get in and get to the bottom as quick as we can. And um, the, that idea isn't horrible wrong. And I'm all for getting in quick but we gotta look at why we're getting in quick. So let's go from the perspective of making it more tenable for the victim. Our victim is always number one, regardless. Well, we have to be able to understand that we can put water from the outside in and make that place way more tenable for the uh, victims. That is really important. Now, I know a lot of firefighter egos can come into play. Mine sure did. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not fighting fire from the outside. And that's not at all what we're saying. That's not what the study is showing. It's like resetting that fire so you can make that horrible push. There's different types of basements. Uh, there's tactics that 
are applied to each one of them. So it's it's a very a very deep subject, uh, but there are some very important parts of it. Is there anything particular you want to start with? Let's just talk about the um, the anatomy of a basement fire. What you know, we all know. You know, the a basement normally just has one way in and out. So um, mm -hmm. we're dealing with a, a flow path there that is uh, is going to be challenging at best. Um, but you know, what else okay. do we need to be thinking about? You know, you, you mentioned um, you know we're, if we've got a basement fire, then we've got uh, the floor. Essentially, the first floor is the floor above. So we're dealing with potential for collapse. We're dealing with, um, you know, potential for depending upon building construction, uh, mm -hmm. could be balloon frame and where's that where's that fire going to travel? Things like that. Absolutely. So let's start with defining what a basement is, right? Mm -hmm. So a basement is anything that's partially covered or covered uh, by by the ground. So the FSRI study pretty much put them into three categories. There's three ty uh, main types of basements. There is full access, which is a complete walkout. Basically, there's an entrance to where a firefighter can easily get in and out of. Um, mm -hmm. When I think of full access, I think about, you know, sliding doors. I think about just regular doors. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of these windows that are big enough to easily get in and out of. So that's, that is a, uh, you know, like a full walkout. That's good. Mm -hmm. Then you have limited access. Now, limited access are the little small windows that are barely above ground or they're in the, the little wells. Uh, that you can't put a person through, but you can put water through. And then the worst one is the one you and I probably have dealt with a lot, and that's the no access. That is you going from the top to the bottom through the chimney, going down into the heat. So mm -hmm. that is definitely the most dangerous one. So those are our three. So here's where it kind of is a rub with some firefighters, and I totally understand, you know, the idea of just hurry up and getting in. I have no trouble hurrying up and getting in for our victim. That's what we do, but mm -hmm. we can do it more intelligently. And that comes with a, a, a 360 with a tick. Um, you can't make a good plan, an effective plan, if you don't know what you're dealing with, right? So uh, doing a quick 360 with a tick can identify where the fire's at, if they're, uh, what type of the, one, which type of the three basements are you dealing with? Uh, and your tactics, can change from the second you get off the truck to where you come back around after a 360. So I, I highly encourage a 360. Mm -hmm. um, but let's say it is a full walkout. And a lot of people like to think that a full walkout is like the easiest fire, right? So we want to fight the fire on the level it's at. That, that makes sense to us. But we don't want to make the mistake of other departments that, that have shared their, their mistakes like, for example, Cherry Road in Washington, D.C. back in 1999, Anthony Phillips and uh, Louis J. Matthews died. And that was a full walkout basement. Uh, if you read read the line of duty death material, it's basically, you know, they had their 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 tactics and their protocols based on their experience sort of let them down and move them down a path where it got two firefighters killed and one seriously injured. And so what they did was. Uh, ventilation is important, right? We have, mm -hmm. we want a vent limited fire. That's what we want because we can handle that, right? We want to be able to control through doors, windows, and different ventilation ways that fire. The second we, we open that structure up without controlling it, then the fire has the upper hand, like in Cherry Road. Uh, they had uh, a, a downstairs 
full access basement open. That's where the fire was. They weren't putting fire uh, water on it because that was not their protocol. They would not throw water from the outside. Uh, and they kept asking if they could throw water. And then they did, they did ask, but for whatever reason, whether it was bad communication or just an absolute no, they couldn't do it. And the result was uh, when Anthony Phillips and, and, and Joe, uh, I'm sorry, Lewis Matthews opened that door, the door failed, they were killed. So that was a full act. So we got to be careful with that. So a 360 can definitely make that better. And then you have, um, well, the, the fire I was at uh, where we lost Chuck Matthews uh, back in 97, it was, um, it was a full walkout basement. So we just got to be careful with those type. And then um, mm -hmm. the limited access is another one. That's the one that I, I've seen the right tactics used years ago. I mean, like late nineties. And it was just, it was something that when it happened, people were like, man, we shouldn't have done that, but it worked out well. And that's throwing water from the outside in. You have limited access. You can't get a firefighter through there, but what you can do is, is put water on that ceiling to cool that structure, hopefully lessening the ability of that uh, flooring system to collapse. You're dropping the temperatures for the people that are down there. We got to keep in mind that the study is showing, I believe it's 162, 162, 165 degrees, and your skin starts to just stop being skin. So we got to throw water in from the outside sometimes while they're making that push down the stairs. So if you think about that limited access, by throwing water from the outside simultaneously, having an attack crew go down and they could be flowing and moving down the stairs. Uh, Cause like we talked about going down on that chimney is terrible. Uh, mm -hmm. When I came in the fire service, you never opened up that nozzle till you saw fire. And one of the worst things you could ever, ever do. Uh, so if it's hot, if it's dark and smoky, throw that water. We, you know, you, you can, you can, you can, you know, buy new stuff right? But you can't bring people back from the dead. So you got to throw that water. And then the last one, of course, is the worst one we talked about, pushing down the stairs, uh, hopefully flowing and moving uh, to get you down there and to lower that temperature down there. Another thing to think about when you're, especially when you're dealing with the no access basement, like the last one, the worst one, uh, is using a Bresnan nozzle or a cellar nozzle, um, even a piercing nozzle. And the whole idea is to throw some water up again on that ceiling of the basement, uh, especially if it's unfinished, to coat all those, uh, you know, engineered, engineered eye joists now and uh, make it more tenable for the, the victims. So that's kind of a down and dirty of those three particularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, would you, I, I'm always, you know, struck by people that say, you know, we wouldn't throw water from the outside. We, you know, we want to get in there. I understand that. Um, I was in that same boat for, for a long, long time. Kind of like, you know, it sounds like you probably were when you first were introduced to this and the whole idea mm -hmm. of putting water on from the outside. But, but when you think about it in, in many aspects, this basement fire is just like an attic fire flipped. And I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saying that loosely, but when you think about it, you know, you got an attic space, if you have a fire in an attic, um, you know, there is no means of ingress or egress. You've got to create one. Um, and you're going to throw water, you're not going to climb up into that attic in order to, before you start flowing water, you're going to, you know, find a scuttle hole or you're going to pull ceiling. You're going to put water up in there. And then if you need to go up into the attic to, to knock down fire that you can't reach from, from the floor below or, you know, from your ladder or whatever. Um, right. 
you know, essentially they're both uh, closed areas of a structure with limited or no means of ingress and egress. So, you know, we think about fighting an attic fire, it's very much like fighting a basement fire with the exception of, you know, basement's gonna have stairs down to it, obviously, but but they're both compartmentalized areas with with really no place for the for the steam that we create and all that sort of stuff to go um, right. easily. And, you know, so it's just, that's one thing that I, that's one way that I've kind of come to grips with or looking at it is it's just an attic fire on the, you know, on below ground instead of above ground. Absolutely. And, and you're right. If you, the, the, the term transitional attack has gotten mm -hmm. such a bad rap, social media has absolutely killed a very effective tactic but through misunderstanding and ego. And the uh, when I've talked, I've, I've talked to several firefighters, some honest firefighters. And one of the reasons they say they don't throw water from the window, even if, if fire presents there, is they want to get in there, feel the heat. And I and and again, I, I brag on these guys because they were honest. They don't they no longer think this, but they were say, hey, that's that's what my thinking was. And I'm like, you know what? We're the firefighters. We're the last people we need to worry about Our you know, mm -hmm. we we are there for them. And our ego should be checked at the door. So if that means we can throw some water from the outside in to make it more tenable for them and for us, why wouldn't we do that? And uh, I always use this example. For example, do, you know, I always ask, do you do 360s? Oh, I try to. But let's say if you're doing a 360, the same time you're doing a 360 and you're you're gathering, you know, four or five numbers of a winning lottery ticket. When you do that, mm -hmm. your pipe man could be stretching a line getting ready. And he, if the fire is there available, he can use the reach of his stream to knock it down, drop those internal temperatures by hundreds of degrees. Science has proved this. And then by the time your captain comes around, you make your push. Sitting there, seeing the fire, if that's the case, and doing nothing until your captain comes around is asinine. It's just asinine. We got, again, our we're there for them. We're not there for us. Uh, I, I want us all to be safe. I want us to live a nice long life and enjoy pensions if we're fortunate enough to be paid. But ultimately, when you know we come to work, we're there for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you think about putting water in, you know, from the exterior, we're not talking about sitting there and spraying for two or three or four minutes. Um, when you mm -hmm. think about the the volume of water that are that a a typical hand line can put out, you know, at least 150, most are probably uh, up closer to 185 uh, to 200, uh, you know, with, with the improvements in the types of hose and the nozzles and everything that we're, that we're using nowadays. We're only talking about a, a, a short burst of water. You know, you think that if you flow in 150 gallons a minute, um, you know, let's just say 180 gallons a minute, make it easy math, that's three gallons a second. Um, you know, you're not going to be throw, throwing more than probably five or 10 seconds worth of water. And then we're going to go back to business as usual. And we're going to go in and we're going to find those stairs and we're going to get down and, mm -hmm. and uh, extinguish that fire, the more traditional, you know, going interior. I heard a chief, a, a battalion chief given a class one time when we were talking to, and he brought up the subject of transitional attack. And, you know, of course the, the crowd, you know, hissed and booed and, and uh you know start throwing tomatoes and everything else you know we don't, we don't fight <laughs> fires from the outside we fight them from the inside and and he kind of put put it in perspective and kind of made them check themselves a little bit he, he said so let me ask you this if you pull up in front of a 
a vacant two-story residence and you've got heavy fire blowing out all the windows across the front of the house and the front door, what are you going to do before you go in? And they said, well, we're going to knock it, you know, we're going to have to knock it down. We're going to have to put some water on it, um, you know, before we advance inside. And, and he said, so what, what do you call that? You know, what's that called? And they said, well, you know, I don't know. He goes, that's transitional attack. He said, mm -hmm. you're performing a transitional attack. You're knocking the fire down, resetting it. If you want to use the, you know, the technical term that, that, uh, that gets thrown around, but you're not doing anything, you know, that you wouldn't normally do if you don't have fire showing and, and you can get in there and, and put the fire out, then, then go, you know, good on you. But if you got fire showing across the whole front of a building, you're going to have to knock it down before, before you go inside. That's all we're talking about. You know, we're not talking about extinguishing the whole thing um, from the outside. And, no. You know, so, and, you know, we used to do this. I've been around long enough to know that, you know, there was a time when, when we did what was called a blitz attack, you pull up, um, use your tank water and your deck gun and you, you give something a good hard knock uh, with your deck gun in order to knock down, you know, a large body of fire while mm -hmm. the, the attack crews flicking out their line and getting ready to go in, masking up and getting ready to go in. So again, that's, you know, that, that's kind of falling out of favor. I don't see that, you know, the blitz attack done as much as right. maybe it was back in the nineties. Um, and I don't know all the reasons behind that, you know, but, but those reasons exist. Um, but we're just doing the same thing. It's not like, it's like most things in the fire service, you know, things go full circle, you know, it used to be fog, yeah. fog, fog, yeah. you know, smooth, smooth bores are horrible. And now it's, you hear people say smooth bore, smooth bore, smooth bore. I, I don't want to fog on my engine, you know, so <laughs> things, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what was old is new again. And, and we learn more information. And I think that's, a lot of this science that we're that that's come out over the past 15 to 20 years with with all the studies that have been done you know is really kind of driving that point home um just we've always known what we've known you know we experience is a great teacher uh, and, and that's valuable but at the same time it's good to have that data that's being produced by all these studies and research that's being done and and applying that data to what we already know and it just makes us better at doing our job and i think that's why these classes like you're doing for the basement fire um you know can really make a big difference not only for our safety but but for uh resolving these fires a lot quicker um and more efficiently oh absolutely absolutely the the science is changing everything i think you're going to see uh talk about everything being cyclical um if you think about it things are fall out of favor and back into favor because of science and an example would be uh, a lot of people right now are all into flowing and moving. I love flowing and moving, right? If you've mm -hmm. got that, if you've got that situation, whatever your fire is, you're able to flow and move is fantastic. And so a lot of these younger firefighters are like, oh, this is so cool. This is, you know, this is new basically. But the mm -hmm. truth of it is Aaron Fields teaches, they were flowing and moving way back in the day. And it's not a new thing, but it, here's where the science has changed it in, in, in sort of an informal way. It was the gear. They didn't have SCBAs. They didn't have the mm -hmm. gear we have now. They had no choice but to flow and move. That's the mm -hmm. only way they could get to the fire. That's the only way they could, you know, save people. Then we get SCBAs. Now we get longer lasting gear. So we don't have to flow and move as much. And mm -hmm. that's sad. It's sad that we didn't keep a solid tactic. You know, it's like we see it as a change. Like, well, if we get something new, you know, the science of, of, of uh, SCBAs, the science of, of gear, 
Why would we change our tactics? Same thing with uh, Chief Layman in the fog nozzle. You know, that's like you'd mentioned, it falls out of favor, it falls back in favor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chief Layman was was fairly clear what his fog nozzle was for. And, you know, even though we moved it into the, the uh, structural firefighting realm and we've had a lot of success with it, doesn't mean it doesn't bring some downsides to it too. And I, I think a, a fog nozzle in a fire is fine um, as long as you don't use the fog aspect of it, you know, until you got to hydraulically ventilate. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just my personal opinion. So yeah, science brings everything back around, but I do think um, now that you got the FSRI and UL and NIST doing these studies, uh, you're going to see that distance between, uh, you know, that cycle being uh, further and further away simply because now we're not playing the guessing game. We know, and we should be basing our tactics and our strategies uh, on this science. And what people don't realize too, when I talk to them about some of this stuff, even my own people uh, question me on this. They're like, what's a bunch of scientists going to tell us, you know, they're not firefighters. And what they don't realize is these studies are done with tons of firefighters from every walk of life, volunteer, career, big city, small town, um, Mm -hmm. in accordance with the scientists. Now, I I would assume, and I've never talked to Mr. Madrakowski one-on-one, but I would say he knows a ton about firefighting now uh, as opposed to 15 years ago. So even though he's not a firefighter, and he is a scientist, he's probably saved more firefighters lives and rescued more people based on his work than any firefighter or any fire department. But yeah, science is here. Uh, it changes everything. Uh, I'd mentioned being one of the instructors for 1700 and uh, 1700 is a guide to structural firefighting. It's the first time you'll see VES in a, uh, in a form in a NFPA standard, flowing and moving, transitional attack, although they don't call it transitional attack. They don't call VES, VES, they call it window initiated search. But it's a science-based approach, um, it, just like the, the the basement fire study. So it's an amazing time to be a firefighter right now. It really is. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Um, can you elaborate a little bit? You know, when we did the basement fire class in Indianapolis, we we had a bunch of dollhouses that we used for the to show just how the the smoke and the fire are going to travel. And I know a dollhouse isn't a real house. I I get all that. I'm not, you know. Uh, it's kind of apples and oranges, but at the same time, it kind of drives home the point about some of the some of the issues with flow path and what we're doing. You know, if that basement door is open or it's burnt through and we open that front door, we're going to drastically change the dynamics inside that structure just by opening that front door simply yes. because we've given it, you know, 18 square feet or more of um, uh, an 18 square foot ventilation opening, basically on the side of the building. Um you know, and so can you elaborate a little bit about that and what what you've come to learn from what the fire does once we break that threshold and how our entry into the structure? And, I, and the reason I ask this or I'm asking you to comment on this is because I've been to I've been to, you know, fires where we can't find the basement stairs. We can't find the basement stairs, but yet the front door is hanging wide open. You know, right. so what's that doing to our fire? I mean, obviously, it's going to it's not going to be good, but just talk a little bit about how that, you know, can cause the fire to travel and and some of the areas that, you know, I was kind of surprised some of the areas that end up being impacted by the fire, a basement fire that I wasn't expecting. Right. I'd be glad to. So Mm -hmm. fire dynamics is 
crucial to basement fires. It's, it's crucial to all aspects of our job. Uh, and along with fire dynamics is flow path. So if you understand that fire is a high pressure and cool air, a cool space is low pressure. So if you see it like this, that the fire is always looking for that cool air, that lower pressure, high pressure goes to low pressure. Um, just like uh, electricity goes to ground, you know, path of least resistance, same with water, it moves through the path of least resistance. Fire and smoke are very similar. They want to go, they want to find an area that's not burned, low pressure areas, and they want to get there quick. And the way they travel is through air. And if you take away, you know, we all know about the triangle, you take away any one of those legs, especially air, you, you are beating the fire. So breaking windows, leaving open doors, uh, needlessly vertically ventilating, I say needlessly, I'm not against vertical ventilation, needlessly vert vertically ventilating uh, and not communicating, you're giving the fire, you're taking away those Powerball numbers I talked about, right? You want all the mm -hmm. Powerball numbers. Well, the fire's playing the same game you are. It wants to win the lottery too. Um, so when you open a door and leave it open, you're giving a free number to that fire uh, and smoke travel. And we got to keep in mind that smoke is, is wants to be fire. It's, it, doesn't ha it, it has the same physical and chemical properties of fire in the sense that it needs that triangle to become fire. So it already has heat. It already has fuel. It's looking for air. So if the fire is looking for low pressure and the smoke is looking for low pressure, it makes sense that it's going to become more fire. Then it becomes an exponential race. So let's take, let's make sure that the fire loses the lottery. Okay. And the way we do that is, is strategically ventilating rapid, rapid water on the fire and communicating what we're doing. So when we go through a door, we have to try to control that door. And it goes against everything that I, me personally, it goes against everything I've been taught. You know, we, we go through rooms and close doors now. We, that was never the case. So we need to look at the biggest opening that we make on a horizontal plane, and that's going to be the door. So as we go through that door, we've got to close that door. We got to be really careful with positive pressure ventilation. You know, we have to make sure we know building construction fire behavior before we even throw that into one of our tactics. But yeah, let's close that door. Um, when you push down uh, and turn, you know, you go down a stairwell, see if you can close that door. Now, people always say this, well, that's stupid because you can't close the door. There's a hose line through it. No, you can reduce that space up to 90 to 95% by just closing it as much as you can. So do that. You're limiting that fire. You're taking away those Powerball numbers. And that's mm -hmm. what we got to do. Um, don't, and I've seen this, I've done this. Don't break windows because you're bored. I'm talking to you, truckies. When you're bored, you like to break stuff. I get it. But don't break these windows. Uh, every bit of ventilation we do has to be strategic. If it doesn't, it, ventilation is going to do one of two things. It's going to put a, num a Powerball number in our pocket or one in the fire's pocket. You get to decide which one you want to do. Be strategic. Communicate. So, yeah, opening that door, close it. Uh, they got smoke curtains now, which are amazing. I've never used one. I get to use one. Uh, in about a week up in New York City. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, let's try to keep that fire vent limited. If it's, if it's not come out of the box, if it hasn't broken a window, then we have a really good chance of keeping it vent limited if we strategically ventilate. So that's, that's basically my take on it. It goes much, you know, much more in depth. I don't know how much time we have, uh, but I've always said, if I could only teach two, 
two things for the rest of my career, it would be fire behavior and building construction, fire and fire in a box. And we're just talking about a fire in a box that's even more limited than a first or second floor. Mm -hmm. I hope I answered okay. your question. I talked an awful yeah. lot. I like to hear myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're doing great. Um, so I want to talk, I'm going to go in two different directions here. Um, sure. The, the first thing I want to talk about is the importance of hose line management when we're talking about basement fires. Mm -hmm. And then once we cover that, I want to talk, um, talk about ventilation and you're, you know, you've already kind of hit on ventilation. Um, but I want to get a little bit more specific about, um, when to ventilate, how to ventilate, things like that when we're dealing with basement fires. So, um, when we talk about hose line management, I have my opinion, um, you know, on, on how that needs to be done for a basement fire. What has been your experience, um, takeaways from, from doing all this training and, and going around the country as far as what are some of the things that you see engine companies do that actually hems them up? And what, what are some of the things that engine companies can do to, to make themselves more successful uh, when they're, when they're faced with this basement fire, where they know they're going to have to get down those stairs in order to, to get to the seat of the fire. So you never want to learn how to move a line during a fire. There's, there's no benefit to that. We have to practice way before the fire. So that means, uh, again, I come back to communication. Say, let's say, let's say you have a, uh, a three, a three person company, which is pretty standard, right? One mm -hmm. person is going to be, uh, pumping. So you got two people to move that line. So how do you move that line? Well, I, I, again, I recommend uh, taking classes like Aaron Fields. Um, but if you even don't have that ability, knowing that your line wants to pinch, like you got pinch points, right? So mm -hmm. your line wants to hit that pinch point and it wants to stop moving. So you have to practice moving a line with two people around pinch points. And the way that happens is only through communications. That's it. You got, you got to be able to shout to that person, mm -hmm. more line, whatever your terminology is, and as you move through the house. And if you do not practice that, then the day of the fire, you are going to be substandard and moving a line. And little Johnny in the Spider-Man pajamas in the basement that just had a birthday party sleepover down there, uh, that was his last birthday party. That's, that is on you. And mm -hmm. I hate to be blunt like that, but if you don't practice moving a line, especially for basement fire, then you're giving that fire a Powerball number. So you got to practice it and you got to move that line. So what size line? Well, you know, you, everybody, you know, the more, the better, I get that. But if you have a limited amount of resources, quicker is the bet is better. So get you an inch and three quarter practice, moving it around uh, and jumping, you know, leapfrogging with your people. And if you think about a basement, there's two guaranteed pinch points, right? The top and the bottom, you know, mm -hmm. so unless you are very lucky and you get to come at that basement stairs from the front, which I doubt you will, uh, and then go straight out the back, which I doubt you will. So you got to practice that. Uh, and moving your line away from the pinch point helps. That gives you more, more time. Um, also thinking about where your hinges are, right? So your, your, if your hinges are on one side, that's the door usually opens to the open area, generally speaking. So setting your line up to go opposite of the hinges will give you some more room. But if it was me and they said, okay, you got to, we're, we have a basement fire. We got two people. I would say, okay, give me a smooth bore, give me an inch and three quarter, and, and give me a few days to practice, and, and we will crush it. 
So mm-hmm. that's that's what it comes down to. You know, I know people say, well, it's a big fire. We got to have lots of lines. What's the point of having a lot of water if you can't get it to the fire? Exactly. What, yeah, are, your, what are your thoughts? I'd love to know your thoughts on this. How do you envision well, I, it? Yeah, well, you you hit on, on a lot of the things that, that I wanted you to. One one thing that I always try and preach and is you got to have make sure that you've got at least enough line to get you down the stairs and where you think the seat of the fire is before you start to make that push. You know, if you, if your line's tight coming in the front door to the top of the basement stairs, and then you start to move down, particularly if you've only got two people, then you're never going to make it. And you're going to either get driven out or you're going to get burned while you're waiting for somebody to get you more line. You know, if you've Mm -hmm. only got two, two people, if you've, if you've got a three person engine company and you've got two people on that attack line, one of those is going to be the nozzleman. And the other one's going to be the backup firefighter. But in this case, the backup firefighter is not going to be backing up the, the nozzle. And that's impossible. That's, that's not practical. Right. So mm-hmm. that backup person is really the hardest working person, probably on the fire ground because oh, they're yeah. humping all that hose. They're running back and forth. They're taking, you know, when it gets hung up on a coupling or under a piece of furniture or something, um, they have, you've got to be, if you're that backup person, you've got to know that, that your job is to, to keep pushing that line and pushing that line so that that nozzle firefighter one can get to the seat of the fire, but also in the process doesn't, doesn't end up getting burned up themselves because they got hung up somewhere and they can't get to the bottom of the stairs. So that's, right. that, that's my big thing, you know, whether it's having, having a big loop of, of hose, you know, if the, a lot of basement stairs are off the kitchen. So I'm going to use a generality here, you know, if it means you got a loop of 10 or 15 feet of hose in the kitchen ready to go before you make that push, take the time to do that rather mm-hmm. than get halfway down the basement stairs with three feet of line or four feet of line. And then re- then realize, Oh crap, you know, I'm hung up somewhere. Um, oh, absolutely. That's perfect. I love that. And the thing about mm-hmm. it is we, we, we have to add to what we know. And that's the beauty of science, right? So a lot of firefighters will say, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go in there. I, I'll get the line in there. I, I'm, I'm going to save people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, mm-hmm. I hear a lot. I hear a lot of lip service. And if you really believe that on game day you're going to do that, well, you're you're already lying to yourself and your crew, right? Your your job isn't to get to the victim as quick as you can. Your job is to get to the victim as quick as you can, uh, it, with the intent of saving them. So, and, and here's my distinction in that: I'm going to get to the victim as quick as I can. I'm going to run in there. I'm going to drag this line. I'm not going to worry about pinch points. I will not have practice moving my line. And you can have all the great ideas in the world. And then you're stuck at the top of the stairs, yelling, panicking at this point. I need more line. I need more line because you haven't practiced. You don't know what you Mm -hmm. can and can't do. You've just put you, you've put that thing in your head that you're some super firefighter and come game day, you will always solve that problem. The intelligent firefighter knows to do that, to get to that victim as quick as possible. There's a lot of hard work before so when they say, I'm going to get to that victim as quick as I can, uh, they've done the hard work. They're, they're the, pro, the pro players, right? They're not the guy mm-hmm. that just thinks he's good. They're the guys that prove they're good. And that is a huge distinction. Our ego, I think our ego kills us in the fire service, and me included. But we have mm-hmm. to realize we have limitations. And we're, there's zero chance of us becoming super firefighters without training in a burning building. Just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we're both fortunate. We work for departments that are, are fairly well staffed. Um, we don't have any, norm, normally we've got plenty of people on a fire ground in a very short amount of time. Uh, 
but but we're kind of the exception in the American Fire Service. And you think about you know, how many firefighters there are in the country, and what small percentage of those are actually career firefighters. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, a lot of the firefighters, you know, that are going to listen to this podcast or going to be responding to that basement fire, you know, they're going to be from from volunteer organizations with not a lot of staffing, and you know that I, I think that when we talk about some of these tactics. Um, these tactics are even more important for those organizations who don't have the, the personnel available to pull off an attack and a search and have a vent crew and, and all those things simultaneously. So it's really important to understand what you're getting yourself into, whether it's hose line management, it's doing a search, it's doing ventilation, whatever the, whatever the, the task is that you're assigned. It's important to understand that you need to be proficient at these things because you're not going to have three or four or five people there to help you pull it off. It might be you and hopefully at least one other person, but you know, you're the, the vast majority of the American fire service is, is understaffed and, and is dealing with, with a lot, you know, a lot to, a lot of issues going on that they sometimes overlook or don't think about simply because they've got fire gear and they've got an CBA and they think they're, you know, they're Superman. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't take very long for one of these to go South in a hurry on you. Just, you know, like Cherry road or, um, even some of the experiences that, that you and I have had over the years uh, in different circumstances. We're not invincible and we're certainly not impervious to that heat um, that we can be exposed to. So having that hose line management and doing everything um, as proficiently as possible is is paramount to, to success. Absolutely. Preach. Preach, Chief. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, we've hit on, you know, briefly hit on uh hand line management let's let's switch over to my second topic which is ventilation mm-hmm. um you know you you commented earlier you know truckies have a, have a habit of just going around and breaking stuff because either that's all they know or they've they ate all their crayons and they lost their rock <laughs> so they they don't have anything they don't have anything left to keep them busy so they decide they're going to break some glass but you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that and i've always mm-hmm. said um you know a lot of departments don't have what they quote unquote designate as the OV or the outside vent person. Um, but I think that when you get assigned that position, the OV, that mm-hmm. is the, that has to be the most patient person on a fire ground, in my opinion, when you're standing there with a, with a hand tool in your hand with glass right in front of you or a door right in front of you, depending upon the layout and you get assigned to OV um, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, when's the right time to take, like, say, say, for example, we've got a, uh, a limited access basement. We've got those windows, um, that are in the window wells, or we've got windows right at ground level. Um, you know, when, do, when should I take the, the glass when the attack crew starts to make the push down the stairs, when I hear water flowing, um, you know, what are your opinions? And, and, I, and obviously there's variables, you know, we can't say always do this, never do that, because we mm-hmm. know that doesn't work. That doesn't work in our world. But it, but as a general rule of thumb, what are some takeaways that you can pass along to the audience about when to take that glass? Maybe when to take it when the if, if there's a situation where the attack crews um, just starting to make that push versus waiting to take the glass when you hear water flowing or, you know, vice versa. All right, you you set me up perfect. I, I love this. We haven't practiced this, but I have a saying that I, I'm going to say here, and then answer the question. So here's my saying: We in in since the inception of the organized fire service, there has been 
went from horses to trucks to specialized trucks uh, to carrying lots and lots of water from dual stage pumps to single stage pumps. We've gone from gear from three quarter boots to fully encapsulated stuff. We've gone from no air pack to not just air packs, but smart air packs, Bluetooth, uh, higher capacity. We've done all this stuff, ticks, you name it. It's all made our job supposedly easier, sometimes more difficult. But here's the thing. The one thing that has never changed and will never change ever in the fire service since Ben Franklin to today, fast water on the fire, period, end of story. you got to have that in your brain. i got to get water, effective water, not just water, and not just spraying it in a box. i got to get effective water on that fire to make anything better. And I don't care if you're a truckie. Uh, you know, kicking ass, breaking glass, or you're an engine guy who's actually the firefighter, if you ask me. Now, with that said, when do we take that window? So always communicate, always, always, always communicate that you're, you're opening up any hole in the box. And it's really simple. It's because you do not know what's going on the inside like the inside crew does. And the inside crew has no idea what the outside looks like right at this point. So you have to communicate. It could be a simple, simple communication but communicate. I personally would want that window after I communicated broken as soon as I can to immediately put water in the on the fire, lower the temperature of that room. So little Johnny in his Spider-Man pajamas is going to have another birthday next year telling stories about how bad this fire was, but the firefighter saved him. You got to get water on the fire. You got to get water if you just got those little casement windows, uh, those little uh, basement windows, then you get up that you get down there and you throw water all on that ceiling, right? Mm -hmm. Heat rises, fire rises, throw water all along there. And you're, and it would move it back and forth. I wouldn't use a, uh, a fog nozzle. I would use a straight stream, solid stream. Um, and I would just put as much water as I can through that window as my crew is making the push. That that's that simple. I'm making it better for my crew, but I'm really focused on making that area better for little Johnny. And mm -hmm. By moving that water around, I'm throwing water everywhere. I'm soaking their real nice sectional couch. I'm, I'm soaking all the stuff so it doesn't add to the fuel, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm doing so many things at one time. I'm cooling the area for little Johnny. I'm making it more tenable for my guys, which in turn is going to make them work faster and get to little Johnny. I'm making, I'm taking fuels out of the equation. So I would open that and do that as quick as I can. Also, if you don't have, say it's a no access, you don't have that window. Then mm -hmm. practice cutting holes in floors and dropping down your Bresnan nozzle, which is my favorite. Uh, mm -hmm. If you don't have that and you have a cellar nozzle, practice dropping that down as soon as possible. Again, water, quick, it has to happen. That is what we have to do for, for little Johnny, and that's what we have to do for our crews. I hope that's answered the question. You just mm -hmm. you don't ventilate. You don't open anything unless it's going to benefit you, not the fire. Right. Yeah, that's you know, I, I think you hit on a on a on a big point there with the communication, um, and that goes true for that holds true for for any fire, but particularly for these basement fires because it's it takes that coordination, particularly with you know if you stay well, we're going to spray water from this side while the attack crews make an entry, you know, then you get that debate about opposing streams or um, you know I'm going to steam anybody that's in the, in in that space. Well, you know. If the temperature at the floor, you know, is a few hundred degrees, that's certainly not good for little Johnny, as you say. But mm -hmm. if I throw water in there and cool that atmosphere and take that floor temperature from a few hundred degrees down to 120, that's 
whether, regardless of whether there's more moisture in the air or not in the form of water vapor or steam or whatever you want to call it. It's not, it's not ideal, but we're cooling the atmosphere, which I think mm -hmm. is something that people, people don't think about is how, how much of a difference just a little bit of water can make in the, you know, the temperatures in that, in that structure, not to mention it, you know, at the ceiling level where it might be 13, 1500 degrees. Um, you've also got to take into consideration that what's all that heat doing to the structural members, you know, the floor joists that are holding up the first floor. Yes. And, and, and the potential, you know, we, we all know with lightweight construction nowadays that it doesn't take very long, you know, six, seven, eight minutes in some cases of direct fire impingement for those, uh, you know, manufactured uh, I-beams or the, uh, the laminar boards and things like that that are that are being used or even the non-true dimensional lumber uh, that the construction industry has nowadays it doesn't take very long for that uh, that fire to cause collapse and then you've just added um, more problems to your to your already bad situation so anything mm -hmm. we can do to cool that environment you know through a combination of ventilation and and water application um, is a win in my book <clears throat> absolutely Absolutely. And the thing about it is too, so when do we stop? If we're flowing water from the outside as they're moving, pushing to the basement, if we have that ability, when do we stop? You stop when mm -hmm. the interior crew believes that the fire is out and it's the temperatures are dropped enough that you can take it. Because think about this, you know, what's the big deal about getting wet for us? It's nothing, right? So yeah. if we keep throwing water and you can continue to throw water from the outside, not just for basement fire, but any fire, as long as you do it correctly, don't put a fog nozzle in there, uh, mm -hmm. know how to aim your, your uh, stream up towards the ceiling at a very steep angle mm -hmm. um, and don't move it around a lot. That way you're, you're stopping that air from being entrained in. Um, and so sometimes on some of these small windows, you do have for a basement fire, you will have to move your line around. But you can judge how fast, how much, and the effect of a line based on what is going into the building. As you're, as you're whipping around that line around, which sort of goes against what I talked about, but basement fire is a different animal. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like your first wife. It's, it's different. You, you do a lot of things different with your second wife. Same thing. Uh, but when you're down there spraying, if you're on your side spraying water up to the ceiling, to the roof, um, then you can watch what smoke is coming in from other areas or the the air movement, you'll be able to determine what kind of effect you're having on that flow path. So keep that in mind. We're, we're firefighters, that old school thinking that, you know, we're firefighters because we're dumb and stupid. That's not the case. We're some of the most intelligent professional uh, group of people ever. So let's, let's prove that by reading the science and applying the science and not being afraid to train to reinforce, especially if we doubt something. You know, I don't believe you can spray two lines, you know, from the outside in while somebody's fighting fire. That doesn't work. Well, set it up, mm -hmm. do it, prove it to yourself, read the science, apply the science. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of get passionate about this. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I wanted you to uh, talk about this. Cause I knew, I knew, I know, you know, what you think about it. So one thing, one takeaway that um, I kind of had, that was a, uh, an eye opener for me was um, doing some training, uh, and open and, and I'll, I'll just use this example because it, it, it's the same theory, same, same process, but we were, you know, it was a door instead of a, a basement window. But you mentioned earlier about high pressure and low pressure and how, uh, 
you know, fire and smoke are always looking for lower pressure. I had a, a, uh, it was kind of an eye opener for me. We were doing some training, throwing water into an area that was, that was superheated. You know, it had been burning for a while. Uh, we opened that door and we immediately get, you know, this blast of nasty, ugly, um, mean smoke, turbulent smoke coming out at us, lots of heat, all that sort of stuff. As soon as we started throwing water into that space, at least initially, um, as we were throwing that water, the direction of that flow, that outward flow reversed. And, you know, my first thought process was, you know, I wonder what happened. And then, it, then somebody was explaining, well, what we've done is we've taken that high pressure environment and we've, we've caused all those hot gases to con contract and, and constrict because we've knocked a lot of that energy out of that room. And we've taken that room and taken and turned it from a high pressure area to a low pressure area. And the reason that I found that important was because what makes things high pressure are, is the heat, the mm -hmm. volume of smoke, uh, you know, those sorts of things. If, if I'm cool in that environment with my water, then all that stuff is going to is going to shrink and contract down. And now I've created that I'm creating more of a low pressure area, which is better for for everybody, because that means I'm taking the, the energy out of the smoke and the fire. And I, that, you know, and I say that because if you do the same thing at a window or, you know, a walkout basement slider or something like that, you're going to have the same impact and you're probably going to see a lot of the same things. Um, and that should tell you that, that what you're doing is, is having a benefit. It's not detrimental. It's actually a positive because you're, you're reversing that high pressure area and knocking a lot of that energy out of the, the fire and the smoke itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to know that you got to, mm -hmm. I mean, for so many years of my job, my job was to take the line in spray water mm -hmm. after I saw fire until it goes out. That's not an intelligent fireman. I wasn't a smart firefighter right now. The science wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I also to, I didn't go looking for a lot of stuff. I just did what I did. I was basing my success on lack of failure. Since the fire right. always went out, you know, I didn't get hurt. I'm a winner, but that's not the case. Now we, now there's no excuse. All the science is there. So mm -hmm. if you know about the high pressure, low pressure, and if mm -hmm. you know that uh, fire and smoke, their goal is, to, so, you know, fire wants to make more fire. It wants to make a whole lot more fire. It's like rabbits, right? So mm -hmm. the first step for that fire is to make smoke. Smoke is fuel. And then it wants that smoke to find more air and boom, they've got more, more bunny rabbits. So we have to keep that in mind. We want to take all the lottery numbers out of the fire's pocket and put them in ours. So throwing that water and, and contracting those gases. That's another thing I, I like that you mentioned. It's not just cooling because we know we're doing that, but mm -hmm. we're contracting gases quickly. And when you take these gases and contract them quickly, it makes like to your point, a very low pressure very quickly. So yeah, that's great. Whatever. What's that mean to firemen? What's exactly what you just said. When that's a low pressure, a, a, a violent low pressure, all that cool air from outside is moving in now. Mm -hmm. And that's for little Johnny on the floor because that cool air is coming in at the bottom. It's not coming in at the top. So by you quickly getting to the fire, you quickly throwing lots and lots of water at that fire, you're contracting those gases and that heat so quickly, so violently that physics does the rest for you. It mm -hmm. all that low pressure starts coming in. But now let's go back to what we talked about, about closing the door, having a door person, right? 
-hmm. This is more communication. This is more communication. When they say, hey, we just got the fire out, you know, and you trust them because you everything from the outside confirms what you, they're saying on the inside. Open that door. Let that right. cool air come in there for little Johnny. Now, I'm not saying here's what I'm not saying. Don't break every window. That's not a thing. Right. We're not mm -hmm. talking about that. We're talking about, again, professionally and intelligently controlling all of our vent openings. So, yeah, there's a time to open that door. There is a time for that fog nozzle to come into play if you have the, the ability soon as the fire's out, if you have a, a full walkout basement or a limited access basement and you can spray that fog nozzle now and that door's open, controlled, now that cool air is just, just flooding that place and it's going exactly where we want little Johnny to have that air. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's a lot of talking. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 for both of us. <laughs> most people, you know, for people who know me know that I don't talk a lot. So um, <laughs> me doing these podcasts um, certainly brings me out of my shell because it's not, you know, talking um, is not something that I, that I'm known for. <laughs> the people that, that spend any time around me, but um, man, I, you know, we've really only just barely scratched the surface of all this um basement fire stuff um but i i do appreciate them you know we, we got a lot of information out i'm not not trying to downplay the last hour we've been talking here but uh there's been a lot of a lot of information thrown out a lot of good stuff um you know i think that people will will walk away from the podcast and have picked up a few things uh that they may have maybe didn't think about in the past or maybe weren't aware of um, so I think that's good because we're just hopefully going to make the job safer and, and better, um, in the long run. So I really appreciate you being on today, Jake. Um, again, just to plug Jake's show as well. He's got the three point firefighter podcast. Um, you know, I encourage you to check that out if that out, if you haven't, uh, heard of it before, but, but don't check it out until you, um, Make sure you listen to all my podcasts first. But, um, <laughs> exactly. But, I agree. But, but anyway, yeah, you know, it's a uh, little bit of self-preservation there. But seriously, Jake's got a great <laughs> podcast. You know, he I was fortunate enough to be on his podcast a few years ago. And, and uh, um, you know, he has a lot of good, got a lot of good folks on uh, a lot of people you've heard of, you know, the big names in the business uh, and, and some that, you know, maybe you aren't familiar with, but you should become familiar with. So. I encourage you to, to check his, his show out as well. Um, just in wrapping up, uh, Jake, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to, to do this with me. It means a lot to me. Oh, thank you. I, again, uh, I was so excited about being on here uh, and I just had a blast. Uh, if I could, two seconds, just to, to give a ahead. shout out to uh, to anybody listening that wants more information on basement fires. I'm going to give you two things, to, two places to go look at. Uh, go to ISFSI, ISFSI.org. There is so much information on basement fires as well as everything else. Also, go to FSRI.org. That is the uh, Fire Safety Research Institute. Not only is there great information, but they have free online classes, again, on basement fire. That's where you'll find all the studies. Um, let, let's share this knowledge. Let's, let's make all of us better. Uh, thank you so much for giving me a platform, Chief. I really appreciate it. I've had just, it's just made my day. Thank you. I really appreciate it, too. Uh, just in closing here real quick, I remind everybody that um, FDIC 2023 is coming up at the end of April. Uh, hot classes are filling up. 
So if you have any uh, desire to attend a hot class, um, you need to get your registration in sooner rather than later because those classes do fill. Uh, plug from, from my class, Ben Inner Search. We're going to be uh, having that class at a new facility this year, the Indianapolis Fire Department. It's a new burn building. Uh, we're going to have live fire this year, which is going to be nice. Uh, so it ought to be a good time. So uh, on behalf of the Hooks and Hoses podcast and the Fire Engineering Network, uh, this is Eric Dryman. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next month on the next episode. Everybody take care. <laughs>